This is R.J. Rushdoony, Easy Chair Number 333, March the 3rd, 1995. This evening, Douglas Murray, Andrew Sandlin, Mark Rushdoony, and I will be discussing, first of all, property and the threats against it in our time. One of the things that is most important in understanding the meaning of property is to recognize that over the centuries, going back to pre-Christian times, property has meant power. Power in any society over most of history has been land-based. We should know that as Americans because a key legal decision in the colonial era formulated that premise for us. James Otis as judge said a man's house is his castle. Now, on so speaking, he was setting forth an old premise of English law. Throughout Europe, in fact, and elsewhere, the nobility based their power on their possession of land. There was a reason for this. You can steal gold and silver, but it's harder to steal land. If you own a chunk of land, you can defend it, you can live off of it in many cases, you can build and reside on it. The one threat to land over the centuries has been the state. By act of state, again and again, properties, real and otherwise, have been confiscated by the state. Now, we must recognize, however, that the modern era has usually chosen another means. We still have land confiscation. We do have a variety of agencies, such as the DEA, that will move in and seize a man's property, whether or not they find drugs in it. And three million American families have lost their properties in recent years through such confiscation. Not many of them actually had drugs in their possession. However, the basic means of confiscation has been by taxation. This has been a revolutionary step. The state has come to recognize that they need not do anything that will attract a great deal of attention, create concern. They can, by means of taxation, step by step, weaken the power 
of the owner over his property. Make it virtually a possession of the state so that by taxation he is paying what amounts to rent. And in many a big city today the tax rate is so high that people are paying hundreds of dollars every month. Of course, they pay it in two payments annually, but it amounts to hundreds of dollars per month for the right to live in their home. So we have a critical situation. Now, I said earlier that property is power. And when the state begins to take property away, its purpose is to shift power from the people to the state. And this is why the control of land is so important. It is a form of revolution. Most people have no awareness of the fact that whether for good or ill, except the means used what were bad, the power of the English aristocracy was broken in the Victorian era by means of taxation. Power was transferred in effect to the state. The nobility were no longer independently wealthy. Now perhaps they should not have had uh, what they did or perhaps they were abusing their power, but the point is they were broken by means of taxation and this in time became a me method whereby the middle classes in England were also broken. So the possession of property is a long contested matter in the history of mankind. It has been the guarantee of freedom on the part of the people in many cases, as in this country prior to the 1930s. But now it's become a guarantee of state power because its control over property is so great. Well, with that general introduction, uh, Douglas, do you want to add anything to it or supplement it? Whatever you want to say, go right ahead. Well, I think uh, we've been seeing a reign of t terror, really, against the private property owner uh, since the uh, government arbitrarily decided to liquidate, the, I guess it's the Fourth Amendment, against uh, search and seizure. They've been seizing property at an unprecedented rate uh, without charges, uh, without probable cause. Uh, all you have to do is have someone state that they saw contraband or some illegal item uh, at your address and in the door they come. And they, uh, even if they get the address wrong and they ransack and destroy your, your house, uh, there's no apology and there's no uh, there's no uh, uh, repayment for the damage. In fact, the federal government is in collusion with local law enforcement agencies. I think, Rush, you and I were talking that 
I saw a letter from Janet Reno to local law enforcement agencies, I think it was written last year, perhaps last summer, in which she was basically stating that we will split the proceeds of mm -hmm. assets seized with you, giving them an incentive to engage in this sort of confiscatory activity. Yeah, I think that that's where it really picked up steam, is when they found out that they were now, didn't have to go to Congress to have their budgets increased. They could yeah. increase them themselves by stepping up the confiscations. But the I said at the time that uh, uh, early on that uh, this was a warning. The you know the Randy Weaver thing in northern Idaho and the Waco, Texas uh, uh, massacre and uh, uh, these are warnings to the rest of us. They're object lessons really to the rest of us. Uh, I think they were done intentionally for effect. I think they knew full well that it would get plenty of media attention and it would put the rest of our country on notice that the federal government was uh, going to abrogate the Fourth Amendment and now they've just abrogated the other half of it. Now you now have the, any federal agency can conduct a warrantless search of your, your residence. I think we need to remember that uh, property, first of all, must be seen theistically. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. A man is playing God when he thinks he has absolute control over property. The God in uh, Genesis to both Adam and to Noah, and then of course in Christ as the second Adam, has given the dominion mandate, the dominion commission. So godly people should employ property for the advancement of the kingdom of God in legitimate means. This confiscation of property by means of taxation too, we ought to remember, in terms of biblical law, as Rush has pointed out so clearly in the Institutes, is a violation of the Eighth Commandment. I mean, confiscatory taxation is a violation of the Eighth Commandment, and we must uh, constantly emphasize that point. I mean, we have a larcenous and thieving civil government, and not just in the United States, but elsewhere. Well, that's not the only means uh, to no, taxation. No, it's not the only. It's by inflating the the currency, absolutely that's a hidden tax. That's right. Uh, we were talking about income taxes, too. It's interesting, this idea of graduated income tax uh, found a place in Karl Marx's and Engels' Communist Manifesto. They stated, interestingly enough, that one of the marks, no pun intended, one of the marks of uh, a society in which communism was greatly advanced was a very steady, graduated income tax. Mm -hmm. uh, another, by the way, was free compulsory education. Yes. Um, it's amazing. We think in the United States today that, well, we have really put communism to rout, you know, and yet mm -hmm. we have assimilated so much of that, uh, of that plank. Well, it's become a matter of style on how they execute it. Exactly. Give it a new name. And, uh, right. <clears throat> But we have to go back to the idea that this really is, uh, the assault on property really is, we can't think merely in libertarian terms, we've got to think in theistic terms, that it's uh, an attack on God and on the Christian faith. Douglas, you and I earlier before were chatting about environmentalism. So much of the environmental agenda is an assault on property, of course, and they have demonstrated that time and time again. Well, there's a recent uh, development. I, I subscribe to the Western Mining Journal, and in it they comment every month on 
the uh, moves that the BLM and the uh, other federal agencies are making on, uh, on public property. And uh, there has been enough of a backlash, what has been popularly called the Sagebrush Rebellion, which has been a uh, sudden upwelling of organizations like People for the uh, Left uh, and uh, various other groups that have banded together. And uh, uh, they have begun to resist the attempts of the federal government to throw, for instance, ranchers off of, you know, federal grazing land and this sort of thing, and uh, taking timber harvesting areas out of production, and uh, putting gates across roads so that you can't get uh, to a mining property, even though people have claims, valid claims on the property, they won't let you get to them so that you can, so that you can mine them. And in some areas, they have invoked, like in Arizona and New Mexico, I believe, they've invoked this home rule as another effort that people have made where uh, there is some loophole that allows people to declare home rule and uh, apparent independence from the federal agencies. And uh, there have been cases where, where sheriffs of counties have actually gone down and stood by while bulldozer operators tore out the BLM and the Forest Service gates. And uh, the Forest Service, you know, people were gnashing their teeth, but the sheriff said, you make a move and you're, you're arrested, you're going to jail. So there's, uh, there have been confrontations, but they don't get covered in the press. They only get covered in, in the marginal media that have a direct interest in, the, uh, in this uh, effort. But yeah. it's turning the corner, and the other significant thing is that the uh, Congress uh, committees that control the money that government uses to buy. Uh, they've been very vigorously pursuing a, a program of buying land and putting it back under public, uh, rather under federal control. Yes. Uh, the, uh, the new Republican Congress has cut off the money for that. Uh, so that, that effort has come to a halt and now they're going to try to reverse it. For instance, the six million acres that set aside the uh, of desert in Southern California, which has absolutely no value except for mineral extraction, uh, that they're going to try to reverse all or, or most of that, as well as some of these other set-asides uh, uh, that the federal government has undertaken and spent a considerable amount of money. You know, if they want to do some deficit reduction, uh, that would be a good place to start. I was thinking, too, of the tyranny of property taxes and the connection of property taxes to uh, government schooling, which today, of course, is called public schooling. A large portion of property taxes is used to finance government schools. So there we have statist education and collusion with uh, these confiscatory actions with regard to, to property. Well, I think Christians need to stand up mm -hmm. and be more vocal in opposing. California has taken a rather unprecedented step, and uh, they're taking the property taxes, uh, which are collected by the counties, and then are turned around and remitted to the state, and then the state is supposed to apportion the money back to the counties. Well, the state recently decided to keep the money. Hmm. So... Uh, which means that sheriff's departments and fire departments have had to cut way back uh, so that traditionally the 
kinds of public services that people considered very basic, which is police and fire protection, is no longer funded by local property tax. Mm. And this is kind of an unprecedented step. I don't know of anywhere else this has been done in the United mm -hmm. States. I understand Michigan recently reversed or is considering reversing property taxation. Is that right? Or I may have my facts straight. I'm not sure of that. I've, I've heard something about that. I don't remember the details. Uh, there is something underway there, yes. I think it should be remembered that our, our founding fathers were quite wise when they wrote into the Constitution that the national government should not own land uh, except for military installations such as ports and um, uh, munitions depots and, and, and military bases and the such. And post offices. And post offices, um, yes. Um, of course, the Louisiana Purchase kind of put a threw a wrench into that when we walked into that, and, and Jefferson was aware that it was really unconstitutional when he did it, and he didn't want to pass up the, the opportunity. But the Northwestern Territories, which are now primarily Ohio, Indiana, and Illinois, the, the government, under the Articles of Confederation, even before the Constitution, made the very wise decision that we're going to survey this land, and with a few exceptions, we're, we're going to uh, basically sell the land. And those are, that's some of the most productive farmland anywhere. The further west, as we went west, the government decided that we better stop giving this land away. Let's keep it for ourselves. For many years, that was really regarded as some, uh, uh, well, a, uh, a violation of the Constitution nobody really wanted to bring up. At some point, I'm not sure when it was, the, the a federal court actually spoke to that issue. And they, in effect, said in a classic case of uh, loose construction of the Constitution that all these federally owned lands were military installations because they con contained minerals and natural resources which in time of war could be used for, extracted and used for national defense. Therefore, they could be considered military installations. Well, they, uh, obviously they can stretch anything to say anything or mean anything or achieve any purpose that they deem important, uh, the, uh, the courts are very good at that, particularly the Supreme Court or Masters uh, at that. Uh, but uh, the situation is beginning to turn, I think, because a lot of people are beginning to see that they've been used, because the 1872 mining law, which uh, was passed in order to try to encourage people to go out and prospect and find valuable mineral deposits and develop them in order to generate wealth for the country because uh, really that's where the wealth comes from the gold that was found by the 49ers uh, who are they going to sell it to I mean eventually it's going to go to the government you know it goes to storekeepers and storekeepers go to banks and banks goes to the federal you know it goes to the federal depository so uh, it was in the government's interest at that time to pass the 1872 mining law to get people to go out and look for gold and all of the territories that were opened up and the the homestead act they were trying to encourage people to go out and acquire personal property to clear it to make it productive i mean this land was totally unproductive up until that time and create this enormous wealth and now the government wants to nationalize it and take it all back 
Southern Plains states used to be referred to on the map as the Great American Desert mm -hmm. because it was without irrigate without irrigation, which it initially came with the windmill. Uh, that was uh, basically useless; couldn't be used for anything until farmers made it came in and made it productive. But um, Imagine how our society would be different if the Western lands were in private hands and could be used for productive purposes. Yes. You know, there's something else I was thinking of while Dennis was talking. I recall that Richard Weaver, in his book Ideas Have Consequences, pointed out the necessity of equating property with land rather than merely liquid assets and all that, as I recall. And he pointed out that as we've gotten away uh, of course, he wrote in the late 40s, but even at that time, as we've gotten away from the idea that property is in land and more in the idea of stocks and bonds and all that sort of thing, uh, we've really destroyed the whole concept of property. And that really dovetails with what you were talking about, Mark, that we need to emphasize the idea of, of land itself because God has created it. It is from there that we can receive our sustenance. It can't be worshipped, of course. It's wrong to worship nature. But nonetheless, it is a gift of God. And in our age of Wall Street brokerage, I think we need to remember that that wealth does come ultimately from God, but and ultimately from the land. I think <laughs> the guy who was the the futures uh, trader for that Bearings Bank, that British bank, he gave a whole new dimension to the term easy come easy go <laughs> the government is also a very poor landlord on the land oh, it owns uh, maybe six seven eight years ago there was a hundred and forty eight hundred and forty thousand acres burned in the adjacent county and most of it was government owned land and some of it has still not been replanted with trees because it has to go through environmental hearings. The environmentalists don't want you to spray anything that would control the weeds to encourage the, uh, the trees to grow for timber purposes. The privately held land was replanted within the year. And those trees are already taller than we are. The, uh, some of the government held land will take years to recover, decades and decades, because they're going to let nature take its course. The worst case of that is in the national parks, where they don't want anything unnatural done. If it burns, if a natural fire is caused by lightning, let it burn. They don't want fire trucks even to go um, off the designated roads to fight fire. They don't want helicopters to land in the backcountry of these wilderness areas. And the fact is that the most productive lands the best cared for lands are not lands that are left to themselves to go wild because in the wild you have deformed trees, you have damaged trees, you have insect ridden trees. In the privately owned lands they control these things. The best forests in the world are the ones on privately owned lands. The uh, old growth lands, if you see a real old growth timber, it'll have a lot of dead dying trees in it and some sparse, large trees, but it won't be productive land. You see the irony in this? I thought of this, I was thinking a couple of years ago about this. Well, God gave to man, in the word of God, godly man, a dominion commission. 
they have almost reversed the order, and now nature is taking dominion over man almost. Exactly. And that really is the case in environmentalism. Yes, exactly. The animals may, and in some cases the plants may, as it were, destroy man, rather than man taking dominion over the earth. It shows the utter perversity when men depart from the scripturated revelation of God. They, as Romans chapter 1 says, worship nature, and then nature begins to take dominion over them. And it's not only government-owned land, it's our land, because our land comes under various environmental laws, zoning, licensure. You can't do with your land what you want to. We live in an area here that, that uh, became popular because of gold mining. Yeah. If you owned a piece of land and you wanted to sink a shaft to extract minerals from it, you didn't have to ask anybody's permission. Nobody. In fact, in this county, they didn't even ask you to record at the county seat where all your mine tunnels were. Yes. And so there has never been any real recording of where the mine tunnels were, except incidentally on some maps will identify that there's a mine shaft here, but there are many hidden shafts because nobody was asked. Yeah. Not, not so much even to say, where, where is your shaft? And uh, all that was required was that you had the capital and the desire to risk your money to extract minerals from the ground. And today, if you wanted to open a small-scale mine, it's really impossible to open a small-scale mine because yeah. environmental requirements are such that it's, it's prohibitively expensive. Which is to say that the whole idea of genuine private property is almost gone. People yes. say, you believe that you own your land, don't pay to, you know, don't pay taxes for a year, and you see what happens to your land, your property. Or try to do anything. Well, exactly, as Mark was pointing out. <clears throat> zoning. The, the Board of Supervisors or the City Council or the Zoning Commission, wherever you happen to be, has the power to ruin you or make you rich. Yes. They can say, they can tell you regarding your piece of property, you can't even build a house there. That's right. You can't use that property you own. That's why they're willing to give up lucrative private businesses for those jobs. Who would spend $30 million to become a, a senator and make 100000 or $130,000 a year? Well, one of the prime motives for becoming county supervisor is if you want to cre create a subdivision. It's punish your political enemies and reward your political friends. And by the way, this also constitutes a backdoor assault in many cases on churches. Uh, if the state or the city, whoever, civil government were to come and knock on the door and say we're going to persecute you for religious beliefs, they would perhaps not be successful. But by means of particular zoning regulations and that sort of thing, a number of churches have been attacked and severely damaged. Schools have been told Schools, how many exactly. students you're allowed to enroll because exactly. we don't want too many cars here exactly. at 9 in the morning and 3 in the afternoon. Yes, there have been countless cases like that. Well, there's all kinds of methods of control, whether it's OSHA, for instance, in mining. Uh, unless there are a few mom-and-pop mines operating in California, there are very few and dwindling rapidly any major commercial operations. Most of the big commercial operations up in this area are shutting down and moving out of the country. They're going to Central and South America. And uh, uh, not because the gold is gone, not because the minerals aren't here. It's because the 
the cost of complying with the regulations right. is making it unprofitable to operate here. And even when it does, in many cases, the regulations tend to drive up prices and that harms the economy. So it's just a very vicious cycle. Well, it's, it's a tool of control. Yeah. Yes. Which, is, which destroys freedom because property should be a guarantee of freedom. Well, it's right. done We so don't have freedom now. If you have property, you may have a headache. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, tyranny uh, American style. Uh, the use of uh, legislative uh, controls instead of, uh, you know, done is not done at the point of a gun as in China. Uh, it's done at the uh, through the state legislature. Two, it tends to be anti-covenantal, and I'm thinking especially of the steep inheritance taxes. Uh, for some reason, people hate the idea, good old Democrats, and I'm not referring to the Democratic Party, but rather this pure egalitarian democratic ideal. They don't like the idea that property should be handed down through the family. Well, of course, that's an entirely biblical idea, but they despise that, and they want to redistribute the wealth to more deserving people. Well, last year, uh, nobody left this country and renounced their U.S. citizenship during the eight years that Reagan was in office. But since he went out of office, over 300 wealthy people have renounced their U.S. citizenship and moved their wealth out of the country. Hmm. And now there is a proposal in Congress uh, to tax you 80% if you try to leave the country. Oh, dear that you will be forced to liquidate and you will pay the government 80% in order to buy your way out of the country. Well, that certainly is a mark of tyranny in the culture we live in. And unfortunately, as Rush and I were talking a few weeks ago, some younger people, this is always, they've always seen things this way and they don't recognize that the culture could be any different. We need to, we need to oppose this tyranny in every way possible, every legitimate way possible. Well, the best way is through education. The, the big problem is that uh, people are asleep. They don't know that yeah. these things are going on, and uh, young people have no idea that it was ever any different. Exactly. Before we go any further, I'd like to make a comment. These uh, easy chairs began some years ago in my living room when I sat in an easy chair but now we're in Joanna's uh, family room around a table and Mark says the chair is not an easy chair. It's a hard <laughs> one. Well, with that uh, behind us, I'd like to uh, begin by saying the law of God sets forth the most property-based society in all of history. It puts taxation out of the picture entirely as far as property is concerned. It cannot be taxed. As a result, a man's house indeed in Old Testament society was his castle. And in this country, as long as we have went by the biblical premise that land could not be taxed, property could not be taxed, 
we were a free people. In biblical order, freedom and the family are land-based. Precisely because the family had freedom on its own land which could not be taxed, you could not enter it without the consent of the owner, it was, so to speak, your own country. It was very, very basic to the freedom that we enjoyed. Very literally, property was very much in line with the feudal system. The feudal lord was lord over his land. The king had no power over him except by some kind of obligation to serve him and some reciprocal relation. Well, in this country, in terms of the Bible, the landowner was Lord in his home, on his land. This is why Otis could say, a man's home is his castle. But we have whittled away at that because as we abandoned God and his law, we began to trust more in man and his law. Yes. With the result that we have created a society that is, uh, makes the world safe for the state but dangerous to the property owner. That's right. Well, in essence, the, the land has been confiscated. Uh, I mean, all yes. we have is, uh, in name only, we pay for the right to call it ours. But uh, whatever is produced on that land is taxed uh, for uh, socialist redistribution. Uh, the, the property itself is taxed and the money is used for socialist redistribution. So in effect, uh, we're just uh, uh, like tenants. Mm-hmm. I was thinking, too, of the extent to which the Christian church has become much too soft on this issue. Today, a large number of evangelical colleges, some seminaries, but especially colleges, uh, have a campus on which the idea of Christian socialism or redistribution of wealth uh, runs rampant. A few years ago, Ronald Sider wrote a book, yes. a terrible book, Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger, which basically was baptized socialism yes. uh, was of course anti-theonomic to the core because the Old Testament won't permit that and then by taking out of context some New Testament ideas of voluntary giving which the Bible certainly uh, supports was able to defend this socialistic ideal but it's remarkable how many college students Christian mm-hmm. college students uh, have no idea of the concept of a biblical view of property and have so many socialist ideas running through their running through their mind. Well, you see this in the seminaries too, Andrew. You see it of course every night in some form or another on television. I heard a speaker on PBS this past week describe capitalism as a form of theft. So the 
anti-biblical thinking is rampant in our culture. It is militantly opposed to property. Some years ago, Count Eric uh, von Kuhnelt-Ledeen wrote a book on equality, which he is at present revising and enlarging. And there he made clear, following the lead of de Tocqueville about 150-some years ago in his analysis of the United States, that if you assert equality as your primary virtue, you're going to destroy freedom. Absolutely. Because you cannot tolerate what freedom permits. Exactly. Inequality. Some people getting ahead, others too lazy to get ahead, or for some reason or other, failing to get ahead. That's right. So our emphasis on equality is destroying freedom in the United States. Absolutely. And you're right, Tocqueville was so clear about that, and he was so prescient in warning of that problem in a democracy that so emphasized the necessity of equality. And that, again, the idea of equality is a blatant attack on the Word of God. The equality the Bible teaches is the equality of the sinfulness of man, original sin. It certainly does not teach that all men have the same abilities, the same wealth, the same lot in life. And the attempt to equalize all of those things will always require uh, a loss of freedom. It is interesting that... uh There is a manufactured quote from de Tocqueville to the effect that uh, America is free because it is Christian. Uh, He never made that statement, although he had some very fine things to say about Christianity in the United States. But all these uh, writers who use that quote and who have not read de Tocqueville usually paid no attention to the central warning he issued about the danger of equality. Yes. It leads to the enslavement of many people because it will not permit them to get ahead. It steals them of that which they have made because it will have no man better than anyone else. And he, of course, spent several chapters talking about the tyranny of the majority. Yes which he considered to be more dangerous than any other kind of tyranny because a single tyrant can be more easily overthrown. Even an aristocracy can be overthrown. But how do you overthrow an entire majority? Well, one of the facts that very few people are ready to face up to is that the French Revolution supposedly overthrew the tyranny of the monarchy. But the tyranny was small compared to what followed the French Revolution and has prevailed since in France. They have never had as low a rate of taxation as they had under Louis the Sixteenth. And one thinks immediately of Orwell's Animal Farm, yes. uh, the story that usually revolutions uh, that subvert tyrannies are always, almost always more tyrannical than the supposed tyrannies that they have subverted. Yes, one of the proclamations that developed in Animal Farm when uh, 
the pigs took over, I believe, and their motto was, all pigs are equal, but some pigs are more equal than others. Yes. Which indicates, too, his knowledge, and this is the knowledge that all should have, that an idea of absolute equality is just totally utopian. Yes. I mean, communism is a prime example. There was always the elite. Mm-hmm. always the party leaders and of course they would claim otherwise but uh, it's they, just an impossibility the gap between the rich and the poor was greater under communism than under the Tsars yes and we've got to get back to the idea of recognizing that this is all an inevitable result of hatred for God's law mm-hmm. and the hatred for Christianity Yes. and two we talked about the fact that God owns everything but statist man doesn't like that. He yes. wants to be the sovereign. Mm-hmm. And uh, the true ultimate sovereign owns everything. Our God is, is sovereign, absolutely sovereign, and thus controls all things. But man dislikes that, and so he wants to reorder things, including property, according to his own dictates. Interesting, even in the Garden of Eden, God told them there's this one tree you can't touch. Yes. You can't keep your hands off of it. Yes. Exactly. And of course, that's what they resented. You shall be as God. You're going to be equal to God. It's not surprising then, as Rush sort of coined the term the messianic state, as the state wants to play Messiah. It wants to control property, all property. And it does to a greater degree than we even today recognize. And of course, we probably should bring up the idea of uh, voting, because as was pointed out by Dabney and many others years ago, the whole idea of um, universal suffrage can easily be turned into a means of confiscation from the mm-hmm. rich. And it's happened time and time and time again. It happens in all uh, revolutionary situations. But uh, it's remarkable, especially in our society, Democratic politicians, but many Republicans too, tend basically to buy votes that way. If you will vote for me, I'll yeah. I'll tax the rich and give you some of their money. If the same guy went to the polling booth and said, I'll give you $5 to vote for me, he'd be thrown in jail, supposedly. Yes. But the same man can stand up and say, if you vote for me, I'll redistribute the wealth, and uh, he's elected. Well, the, the uh, term the American dream uh, really describes the yearning on the part of people to have a place of their own. I've talked to many people at, in country uh, in cities around the country uh, that I visited back when I was in the military and moving around a lot, and you'd be sitting next to somebody on a bus or an airplane or uh, not necessarily an airplane, but on a bus or some form of public transportation, and you get to talking. And I would ask them the question if they if if they would tell me that they didn't have anything, if they were on the move and so forth, I would ask them, what do you wish for yourself? What do you want for yourself out of this life? And 99 times out of 100, it was they wanted a home, someplace yeah. that they could put down yeah. roots yes. and raise a family and have a place. And it, and it's curious, but every species is like that. Yeah. You know, a, a, a dog, for instance, will go nuts if it doesn't have a, a place that is designated that yes. that's theirs that's right whether it's a place a mat on the floor or whatever uh, a cat's got to have their basket dogs got to have their bath mat or whatever 
and it's something innate in all species. Yes. We all have to have a place that we can uh, that we can anchor ourselves to. Yes. You know, I was thinking socialism uh, ideologically has been quite prominent. Well, it goes back, of course, to ancient Greece and Sparta and so forth, but especially since the 19th century. Yet it really escalated during the time of Roosevelt. Rush, we have talked about that. Maybe you can mm -hmm. talk about the idea of uh, Roosevelt first, and then, of course, the escalation in the Great Society under Lyndon Johnson. The first statement that opposed human rights to property rights was by Theodore Roosevelt. And it was after he had uh, left the presidency. It was regarded as a Marxist idea, and rightly so, because human rights equal, mean essentially freedom and the right to property. This is what they have meant over the generations. But he opposed the two, human rights and property rights. Well, with Roosevelt, uh, the opposition to uh, the rich barons, the malefactors, the wealthy, became a stock in trade. Now, this did not mean he opposed them. He was playing a game to get the popular vote. This, however, became endemic to our society, and one president after another has since then worked to increase taxation on the wealthy and on the middle class in the name of the people. And the net result is that now it is considered a matter of virtue, that there is something wrong with you if you oppose higher taxes. Yes. So we have seen the steady loss of freedom under this uh, banner of the people and the people's rights, meaning the people's rights to what you have and yes. what I have. And it's not, uh, it's not surprising that a number of the communist dictatorships really latched onto that word, mm -hmm. uh, the people. Yes. Edmund Morgan wrote Inventing the People a number of years ago, uh, tracing that uh, concept. But what it really means, and I can't remember the title of the book that I was reading, was talking about Rousseau mm -hmm. and his concept of uh, the general will, which yes. is uh, basically the idea that those in charge, the elite, will determine what the quote general will is and yes. act in the name of the people and they don't mean that the general will is who gets the most votes or what people want they know what the people should want and that's the general will so there's always a character of elitism in this yes. almost well virtually always always a character of elitism that there always will be an elite that will determine how the money will be confiscated and spent the insistence on equality over the centuries has been the central premise of one great tyranny after another. There's, a, I think, a change, though. You know, that's the, the ship of state turns very slowly like a ship at sea, but you can see here and there little flashes of bright spots. For instance, in public housing projects and major urban centers, 
uh, where the the housing projects in many cases where as long as they remain under government control have just gone right down into the mud. You know, they're destroyed, they're crime-ridden, uh, people are afraid to go outside, they're, all the windows are barred. I mean, they're as much in a prison as any criminal that's been sentenced uh, to a penitentiary. But in those cases where the the residents of those complexes have taken control and the government has allowed them uh, to take control, suddenly the weed-infested uh, areas turn into gardens, uh, the uh, graffiti gets painted out, uh, they in effect create their own community, they have their own uh, policing uh, that patrols the area and keeps uh, the criminal activity, minimizes criminal activity, and they figure it out for themselves. Yes. When they, when the pain gets so great uh, because of the crime and the terrible living conditions, they finally figure it out that only when they have control over the property do they have any control over their lives. And people tend to care for what they have an interest in. Sure. And of course that was demonstrated in the Soviet Union. They were forced a number of times to have permit a small amount of privatization, and it always flourished. It always flourished because God, mm -hmm. as you indicated earlier, Dennis, put that in man's bosom and soul to dis to have his own place, his own lot, his own house, his own home, as it were. Well, <clears throat> the future of private property at present in the United States is not good. However, one hopeful sign is the growing rebellion. You referred to the sagebrush rebellion. It's amazing how little of that is reported. Well, they're afraid because they're afraid to really to educate the people that there's even an opposing view, much less discuss the merits of the issue. Yes. There are dramatic stories connected with the sagebrush rebellion but uh, they don't get out. Well, the alternative press is what has spread the word. And, yes. uh, that's all these organizations have newsletters and they're networking through uh, computer bulletin board yes. systems. And really, uh, the state is doomed if they think that they can maintain this monopoly on information because it's absolutely idiocy, absolute idiocy. I could not agree more. That's uh, right. Because people are going to find a way around it. They're just, how they're, are they going to control the Internet? I mean, how are you going to regulate the Internet? I mean, I mean, even the Russians, you know, with total control, still had clandestine bulletin board systems over there. Exactly. I mean, they found a way, whether it was by amateur radio or by citizens band radio or uh, running wires between apartment houses and people networking and talking to each other. Even at the point of a gun, people will find a way around it and will communicate ideas right. and discuss issues. Right. So for our government to assume that they're going to maintain a monopoly on information and uh, uh, try to uh, blank out opposing views or discussion of I issues shows how really mentally retarded they yes. have to be. Mm -hmm. And to uh, bureaucracy is always, always, always inefficient when compared to the private sector, uh, comparable action in the private sector. And uh, for that reason, long term, it just cannot 
survive. Rush is right. Short term, it does not, but long term, not only because of our post-millennial vision, but merely looking at the facts as they are, it just, I don't think it can survive. Well, it's interesting on the reservation. Uh, the Indians uh, regarded the federal agents as not even halfwits. <laughs> not <laughs> it, that good. <laughs> yes. They had all kinds of uh, private and often very crude jokes mm -hmm. about people who had worked for the government. Now, a few would be singled out occasionally, and every so many years they'd say, we had one man, he was, he was good, but he didn't last long, <laughs> which is true. I know that after the war, a very fine young man came out of the military. He was a soil conservation expert, and he became the first soil conservation agent on that reservation. Uh, and another one as well. And being a conscientious Christian man, he very earnestly worked to save money for the government so that he accomplished everything that was scheduled for him to accomplish and some more and returned money to Washington. They almost had a fit over that. They uh, called him to a meeting in uh, Salt Lake City. Then they called him to another meeting in Portland. They came down to try to reason with him. They regarded him as an outlaw. He was supposed to run a deficit and demand more money. When he repeated this, three years running, they demoted him and sent him to the smallest uh, Indian agency in the West. Well, and then he finally wound up out of the service. They couldn't tolerate him. Nowadays, if you handle a budget in any public agency and you wind up with a surplus at the end of the budget period and you turn the money back in, I mean, it's almost considered un-American. They, mm -hmm. they look yeah. down their nose at you. I have a question for our panelists. Is there any government agency that should not be privatized? Can you think of one? I can't think of any. I can't. Most of them need to be abolished. Exactly. They serve no useful purpose. Exactly. Well, the main functions of government are to provide justice and defense. That's right. And um, these things, some things I think ought to be a function of the government because justice ought, although there can be many private agencies that administer so maybe justice. maybe like the armed forces and FBI perhaps, uh, maybe. You may be, yeah. yeah. Definitely the armed forces and certainly the courts, I think, yeah. ought to be. Or there ought to be co some courts that, that are part of the government because the government ought, ought to represent justice. I think if there was any mistake made by the framers of the Constitution, they put in too many vague terms that could be interpreted many different ways. Mm -hmm. It became a kaleidoscope of generating uh, government control. Uh, the words promote the general welfare. I mean, you know, how many yeah. federal agencies uh, yes. hang their hat on that one? Uh, if they would specify, for instance, provide for the common defense, yeah. you know, that's pretty clear. Everybody understands what that yeah. entails. But when they use some of these other vague terms that open the door wide to interpretation, that's where we got into trouble. You know, but to be fair to them, I think we can't, 
uh, look back with hindsight and expect them to have anticipated all that has happened well, since then. On top of that, the courts don't need anything in the Constitution to uh, <laughs> make weird interpretations. They just make it up as they go along. Yeah, yeah, I like the story, a true story. Uh, in the early days of the country, the Supreme Court, like Congress, met for about two weeks every year or every other year, and, and it was because not much was expected of the yeah. federal government. The people did everything themselves. Yes. Well, the Supreme Court meeting in Washington uh, in days before air conditioning uh, whether it was hot or cold, they felt that uh, the remedy was rum. <laughs> so they'd send out for rum very often, and they got criticized for it in the media. The newspapers started speaking about the heavy drinking, supposedly, that was going on in uh, the Supreme Court chambers. Not that anyone ever got drunk. So they became very self-conscious about that and decided that they would uh, not drink unless it were raining and chilly. <laughs> <laughs> so medicinal purposes only. Yes. Yeah, so on this one occasion, uh, John Marshall, the Chief Justice, was getting very, very thirsty. So he told uh, Justice Story to go and look out of the window and see if there were any sign of clouds and the possibility of rain. <laughs> and uh, Story came back and said, I can honestly say there is no possibility of rain. And Marshall blew up and he said, Story, that's the poorest legal opinion I have ever heard. <laughs> Our jurisdiction is the whole of the United States, and it has to be raining somewhere. Bring on the rock. <laughs> well, thank you all for listening, and God bless you.